All right. Turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Book of Jonah, chapter 4. of Jonah chapter 4. <clears throat> so just to give you a little bit of a recap again, and I'll go really quickly through a lot of it just because you were there. Um, are we good tech-wise in the back, everything? All right, good deal. So Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go. So he fled in a ship going to a place called Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He boards the ship and he goes to sleep. God sends a great storm across the sea and it frightens the sailors to the point that they wake him up and tell him to pray to whatever God he has that that God might save them from this storm. And uh, Jonah doesn't pray. He, he, does not, he does not frankly care very much about the storm or about the sailors. And he tells them to just throw him overboard. Just throw me into the sea and, and it'll stop. And they don't want to do that. And they try everything they can. But in the end, they do throw Jonah into the sea and the storm stops. And the pagan sailors uh, praise God. They offer sacrifices and they worship him. Jonah wanted to die by getting thrown into the sea. And you'll, you'll see today in, our, in chapter 4 that that is a recurring theme in Jonah's life. He wants to die like a lot. And uh, he gets thrown into the sea, and the Lord appoints a great fish to come and swallow him to save him from destruction. And Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days before he finally prays. And as we'll see tonight, Jonah's prayer, we, we're gonna, I'm going to reinforce the reality that Jonah's prayer was not really all that heartfelt, that it was a lot more self-serving and just kind of ritualistic. And you'll see that by some of the language that he uses in chapter 4. Uh, but so he prays, and God um, has the fish vomit Jonah up onto dry land because God is still displeased with Jonah and where Jonah is. Um, and so the fish vomits Jonah up onto the dry land, and then God calls Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah goes, and he goes into this great city, which is three days' journey in breath, and he walks in a little ways, and he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the literal entire city repents and believes the word of God. Everyone from the king to the animals fast and wear sackcloth, and they all, uh, the, the king orders everyone in the kingdom to cry out to God that maybe he will relent and not destroy us. And so they do all of this, not even guaranteed that God will actually stop the destruction from coming upon them. But God does. God relents and does not destroy the kingdom of Assyria, the city of Nineveh. He does not destroy them. And so that brings us to where we are now in chapter 4. So let's look together at Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you what, do, you do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The end. That's how Jonah ends. With an open-ended question on a cliffhanger. That's it. So what do we see about Jonah in chapter 4? I've been telling you all along that Jonah is not a good guy. And chapter 4 really shows it. So the first thing we see in chapter 4 is that Jonah actually accuses God of evil. He accuses God of doing evil. So right there in the beginning when it says, but it displeased the Lord, or when it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, the Hebrew phrase there literally says, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. So God sends Jonah to preach to Nineveh. To tell Nineveh that God is going to destroy it. And Nineveh repents and turns to God. And God relents of disaster. And Jonah in his heart says that God has done evil by not destroying Nineveh. Now just in case you're unaware of this. God cannot do evil. Everything that God does is good. If God does it, it is not, by definition, evil. It is good. So for Jonah to accuse God of evil is the height of blasphemy. It's incredibly, incredibly prideful and sinful for Jonah to be displeased exceedingly. The word used there is a Hebrew word, ra'ah, which is the same word used in chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, ra'ah, God relented of the disaster, ra'ah, that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. So ra'ah is a word that can be used in multiple different forms, but kind of the root context there is this idea of evil. So God relented, and Jonah is exceedingly displeased. And notice what happens in verse 2. So all along, on the ship, Jonah is called by the sailors to pray. He doesn't pray. In the fish, Jonah waits three days to pray. But now, when God has relented of the disaster coming to Nineveh, verse 2, 
Jonah immediately starts praying. And he prayed to the Lord and said, and this is so incredibly, when I read Jonah chapter 4 for the first time as a teenager, I was like, that dude really just said that to God? So he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, he said, I knew that you would forgive the Ninevites if they repented. I knew you would. And that's why I didn't want to go. Because I want Nineveh to be destroyed. That was his heart. His heart was not afraid. His heart was hateful. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed because he felt like they were undeserving of God's relenting from disaster. And what's really, really, really bad about what Jonah says there to God is if you turn over to Exodus chapter 34, and you don't have to turn, but in Exodus chapter 34, so this is right around the time of the golden calf. So Moses, they're in the wilderness. Moses goes up onto the mountain where God is giving him the law. And he comes down. Or at, while he's up there, Israel says, well, well, Moses has been gone a really long time. Aaron, you're the priest. You should make us a God we can worship. They already have a God they can worship, but they want an idol. So Aaron takes all their gold and melts it down and makes this golden calf. And God is angry. Very, very angry. And do you know what he tells Moses? I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses prays for Israel that God would relent. And do you know what God does? God relents. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, this is what it says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. See if you recognize this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah, in accusing God of evil, quotes God himself when God relented of disaster for Israel. Imagine the level of hubris you have to have to accuse God of evil using God's own words from when he relented from destroying your people. Jonah is a fool. He is a fool. He is saying that God is wrong to display those characteristics to the Ninevites. Those things belong to Israel. But just in case you're not up to speed on your biblical history, Israel did not earn God's favor. God chose of his own accord to show favor to Israel. Because the people that Israel is descended from 
did not listen to God, did not obey God. In fact, the man that the nation of Israel is named after was a man who was a liar and a schemer and a con man and a cheat. They were not deserving of God's favor. But Jonah, in his mind, had gotten it all turned around. God, you're only supposed to be those things to us, not to them. And when you do those things to them, it's not only wrong, it's evil. It's evil. And so verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is like the moodiest teenager who ever teenagered. I just want to die. But it's even more extreme than that. Back in Jonah chapter 2, which we looked at last Sunday night when we talked about Jonah's prayer. So in in verse 6 and verse 7 of Jonah chapter 2. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So there in verse 6, where it says, you brought my life up from the pit. In chapter 4, when Jonah says, oh Lord, please take my life from me. It's the same word. It's the same language that he's using, where he is trying to convey that he wants to die. He wants this to be removed from him. So what is happening here, what is happening here is that Jonah is showing us that his words in his prayer in chapter two were very much insincere. Because remember how he was thanking God for rescuing his life out of the pit? And now because God has done something he doesn't like, he wants his life to be destroyed. That's not thankfulness to God. Jonah was never really truly thankful to God. He really wanted to die because he thought, if I die, then the message of God to the Ninevites will never go and God will never forgive them and they will be utterly destroyed. That's what he thought. And so God responds by saying to Jonah, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Now, that's kind of a weird phrase when you translate it into English, but it just basically means, is this really the way you ought to respond to what's happening? Is this really the right response to the events that are taking place? Is this really how you should be reacting? Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah, again, like a teenager, storms off and doesn't answer God. He storms off and the Bible says that he goes up onto a hill out to the east of the city and makes a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So what that means is Jonah is still, fingers crossed, hoping that God is going to destroy Nineveh. And so he goes and gets himself a good seat so he can watch the show. And he is so invested in this that he goes up there and builds himself a little shack in which he can watch it says that he goes and he builds a booth. The sun in the Middle East is very hot. It's very oppressive. 
And so he builds this structure for shade. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked in the fireworks booth out here. It's very hot in Bakersfield. And while the, the fireworks booth does provide shade this year, from what I'm told, it was very pleasant as opposed to previous years where it was just like sitting in a box in the oven. Because as you'll know, if you're inside of a structure, while you may have shade, if there's no airflow, it just gets really, really hot. And so over time, Jonah is sitting in this booth and it just gets really hot. So verse 6, it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant. So in chapter 1, God appoints a fish. In chapter 4, God appoints a plant. God appoints a plant. And it says that he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So God in one day has this plant miraculously grow large enough to provide shade for a grown adult man who acts like a child. But he has this plant grow up miraculously. And this plant is over Jonah. And what does it say to us? So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Because of the plant. So this is the literal opposite reaction of how Jonah reacted to God relenting of disaster over the city of Nineveh. Jonah was displeased exceedingly because God said, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh, but God grows a plant and Jonah is exceedingly glad. He's very excited that there's this awesome plant making his life better. But when dawn came up the next day, So Jonah has this plant for one day. When it comes up the next day, God appointed a worm. And the worm attacked the plant so that it withered. So God gives Jonah this big plant. He saves Jonah from discomfort, that word ra'ah again. And he's exceedingly glad. And then he sends this worm to eat of this plant And the plant withers, and then it dies. And it says, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. God is in absolute sovereign control of what is happening here. He appointed the plant. He appointed the worm. He appointed the wind. A scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So Jonah is now suffering. He's suffering out there in his booth. Now remember, nobody told Jonah that he has to stay in that booth. God did not say to Jonah, go sit and time out in that booth up on the hill. Jonah wants to stay there. Why? Because he wants to see Nineveh get destroyed. He doesn't have to be there. He's choosing it. And so God saves him from discomfort with this plant, and Jonah's super glad about it. Then the plant dies, and Jonah will not leave the booth. He just sits there. Not kind of dumb, really dumb. And he asked that he might die again with the dying. 
again with the, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So dramatic. So dramatic. Literally, he wants to die. He could get up and walk back into the city. They would gladly receive him. This is the man that brought the word of God. They would gladly receive him there. But no, he wants to watch Nineveh be destroyed. So he wants to die now because God has taken away his special plant. So God asked Jonah the same question again. Remember he asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Is this really the response you ought to have? And so now he asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is this really the response you ought to get? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry. Parents, does that sound like any of your kids? Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. He's just mad. He's mad because God took away his comfort and now he wants to die about it. And so verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant. You're angry about losing the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. So I'll pause there and just point out, Jonah did not till the ground. He did not plant the seed. He did not water the plant. He did not do anything about the plant. Who appointed the plant? God appointed the plant. But Jonah is mad about it. He's mad about it. And then God goes on, he says, the plant which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So literally, this miracle plant showed up overnight one night. Jonah woke up the next day and was like, oh, cool. There's a plant there. And the next morning he woke up and the plant was dead. And he's so angry about this plant that he wants to die over it. A plant that existed for literally one stinking day that he had nothing to do with. It just showed up. And he wants to die over it. Again, I was not kidding when I told you Jonah is not a hero of the faith to be emulated. And so God turns it on its head. Because remember, Jonah is justifying himself. This plant that he had nothing to do with, that he did not cause to grow, that literally existed for one day, he's upset about its destruction. He is devastated at the destruction of this plant. And so God, in verse 11, plays the God card. And says something to Jonah that should make Jonah go, wow, I'm an idiot. He says, and should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who are so dumb, they don't even know their right hand from their left hand. They are so ignorant about the reality of their sin, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. Should I not pity them? And then something a little more Jonah speed. And also, they got a lot of cows too. 
Now that's kind of weird. Like much, much cattle. Why, why do, the idea behind the cattle there is it's talking about the wealth of Nineveh. It's, it's another illustration of just how great Nineveh is. There's 120,000 people and there's a lot of cows too. So a lot of these people own a lot of livestock. You know what happens when you own a lot of livestock? You got a lot of kids. You got a lot of people in your household. You got a lot of servants. This is another illustration of just how large Nineveh is. And think back to what we talked about this morning when we talk about what it means for, for a city to be overthrown. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Everything died. All the people, all the livestock, all the crops, all the grass on the ground, everything died. God cares about all life. Now, I'm not telling you to go join PETA and become a vegetarian. But just bear in mind, God gave life. God cares about life. And God does not hastily take life. It is not God's will that anyone should perish. God desires to relent of disaster. Now, we don't know how Jonah responded to this question. We don't know if Jonah responded at all. For all we know, he hurled himself off a cliff so he could die because he was so upset about his favorite plant. We genuinely don't know. He might still be sitting out there under that booth right now. Who knows? But the reason why the Bible never gives us Jonah's answer, the reason why the Bible doesn't tell us how the story actually ends is because the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah is not the character that you should be the most focused on. Jonah is not the character that we should all be looking at going, boy, I sure want, I hope, I want to know what happens next to him. As I said this morning, God is the main character of the book of Jonah. And the reason why we don't know Jonah's answer is because Jonah's answer doesn't matter. What God said to Jonah is what matters. Because God wants Jonah to understand that his heart is not just for the salvation of Israel. His heart is for the salvation of the whole world. Of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jonah is literally accusing God of being evil for not destroying this huge city filled with hundreds of thousands of people. But he wants to die over a plant. Plants mean nothing. I could go to Home Depot and buy a thousand of them right now. I can't go buy people at Home Depot or else the feds are going to show up and people are going to prison. Just as an aside, don't buy people. The Bible, Bible speaks very, very lowly of that. But the point is, plants don't mean anything. People mean something. And Jonah's priorities are all twisted. But the issue is not just the plant. What was Jonah really mad about? He was not mad because he lost the plant. He was mad because now he had to sit in the sun and get hot. It was uncomfortable for him. Jonah cared about Jonah. And that's it. Jonah thought Jonah was the most important person in all of creation. And Jonah is nothing. Jonah's the plant. Jonah's dead. He's gone. Eaten by worms that God appointed to do so. 
God is not bound by our perspective on who is worthy of grace. He's not. He's not. When I was in seminary, I had a conversation with, with a guy who was telling me about a conversation that he had had with a young lady at his church. She was in her early 20s. And she had been in a physically abusive relationship where her boyfriend had beat her so severely that she had to be hospitalized for quite a while. And he was now in prison. And she was a believer. He was not. Problem one. Uh, And in prison, he had been reached by a prison ministry and had become a Christian. And when she found out about that, she was very angry. She was very angry because she said, do you mean to tell me that one day I might have to sing next to him in heaven? Do you mean to tell me that he deserves salvation? And he's, he's asking me, he says, Corey, what do I tell her? And I was younger and dumber and a lot less thoughtful. And my response was, tell her, yeah. Tell her, yes, you have to sing next to him in heaven and that should make you happy. And when she says, you mean to tell me he's deserving of salvation? Tell her, no, he's not, and neither are you. I don't think he took my advice, which is probably wise. In that moment, with someone who is struggling like that, it's probably not great to be that aggressive. But those things are still true. Because here's the reality. None of us deserve salvation. None of us are worthy and you might think, well, well, I've never done that. I've never done that. And what you are thinking in is you are thinking in terms of human understanding of, of a scale of right and wrong. And while that is very true for us, our hurts are very real to us. When people sin, people are not sinning primarily against us. They are sinning primarily against God. They're sinning primarily against God. And their sin against God is far greater than anything they've ever done to me. Anything they've ever done to me. And so when we think about it in that way, we recognize that it's not about what happens to us, but sin is against a holy and perfect God. And when someone repents of sin before a holy and perfect God, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. But oftentimes, we react like Jonah. We react like Jonah. What if someone who killed one of your family members came to Christ? A drunk driver who killed your whole family in a car accident repents and believes the gospel? What if the 9-11 hijackers had survived and they repented and believed the gospel? What if ISIS 
en masse heard someone like Jonah walk in and say, yet 40 days and ISIS shall be overthrown, and they all repented and believed the gospel. Would you rejoice? Or would you think, even for a moment, I got to share heaven with them? You mean they're not going to be destroyed? What if that neighbor who you really don't like starts coming to your church? What do you do? Where is your heart? Are you excited? Are you thankful for God's grace? Or are you saying, no, not them. Please, God, not them. And I know most of you are saying, I would never say that. I think more of you would probably say it than you even realize in that moment. When we think about Christ in the book of Jonah, you think about Christ in the book of Jonah, we have to think about the fact that Jesus surrendered his life, that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. We think about Christ in the book of Jonah, I think we have to think about what does it look like for us to have our greatest enemy, the person who has hurt us the most, repent and believe the gospel. People who have abused us, who have maligned us, who have hurt us deeply. Our greatest hope for them should not be their destruction. It should not be their end. It should be their salvation. And not salvation in the sense of get saved and go somewhere else. But it should be salvation and reconciliation because Christ has made all things new he's made us new he's made our hearts new he's made our perspectives new and he can do that in literally anyone he did it in a city of more than 120,000 people even some of their cows got saved Not really. Cows can't get saved. And dogs don't go to heaven, just in case you were wondering. That's an inside joke for me and the youth. But ultimately, Christ's heart is that he came so that people who are undeserving might have life. This morning in in youth we were talking, and Hannah pointed out, Jesus on the cross having been beaten, being tortured, being mocked. Do you know what he said? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What did God say about Nineveh? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know what they're doing. The people who have hurt us, who have sinned in ways that have hurt us, they don't know what they're doing. They know that they're hurting us, but they don't know that their sin is against against a holy and righteous God. The book of Jonah is a book that tells us that God loves all people from all corners of this planet. He doesn't just love the people inside this church. He loves all the people of Bakersfield. And when we don't share that word with them. 
we are saying, I don't care if they're saved. I don't care. Charles Spurgeon famously said that if men must go to hell, I pray that they would get there by leaping over our dead bodies. In other words, we should be doing everything that we can to bring the gospel to people, to our last dying breath. And if they still do not repent and believe the gospel, we have done everything possible and they have to leap into hell over our bodies. That's what he means by that. The book of Jonah is a book that tells us that that's how God loves the people in the world. And the book of Jonah is a book that tells us that that's what our heart should be too. Don't walk away from the book of Jonah thinking, well, if I disobey, God will send a big fish to swallow me up. (laughs) Don't walk away from the book of Jonah thinking, well, God's going to send a cool plant overnight to give me some extra shade. Walk away from the book of Jonah realizing that we are Jonah. And that's not good. But we are called to be sanctified, to be made more like Christ every single day. The book of Jonah should spur us to desire that more and more and more. It should help us to understand God's heart and align our hearts with his. Go into all the nations preaching the gospel, baptizing, and making disciples of all men. That's what Jesus has called us to do. That's what we should be doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Jonah. And thank you for a place that we can gather together and study your word and understand that you have a heart to save people that you have a heart that desires that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. And I pray, Father, that that would be our heart, that we would not be desiring destruction of anyone, but that our heart would desire salvation for everyone. Thank you, Father, for your grace that you have shown to undeserving sinners such as us. Help us to be more thankful for that every moment. We pray this in Christ's name.